media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your hosts, Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. The Democrats are fundamentally transforming America by using a plan that is so clever that the Conservatives do not recognize their compliance with a poisonous design. Their tactic is brilliant. They have us arguing over the political left and right, conservative versus liberal, tolerance, intolerance, rights, race, civil rights, privileges, benefits, and fairness, while they engage in a continual drone that we are a democracy instead of a republic. The bickering has directed our attention to party politics instead of working from our constitutional foundation, which is allowing our government's decay into fascism, communism, or something worse. What I just read is the beginning of an important new book by constitutionalist and author Stephen E. Makowski. The book's full title is The Real Constitution and Its Real Enemies, How the Right versus Left Dialogue is a Weapon Being Used to Destroy Our Republic, How to Fight It. I encourage everyone to read it. I'm happy to say that the author, Stephen Mykoski, is our guest today to discuss the threat to America's future. After working with political influence groups for years, such as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Steve became very interested in what the U.S. government should be doing, not what everybody was trying to make it do. The more he studied, the more he was impressed with the American Constitution and the work that went into its design and implementation. Steve learned that the U.S. government should be guided by the Constitution, not enterprising politicians and greedy citizens. Steve was born at Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. His father was in the U.S. Air Force, so he moved a lot, for example, spending four years in the Canal Zone in Panama. Steve later enlisted in the Air Force and spent almost four years in Western Germany, where he followed in Dr. Lair's steps and undertook skydiving with a passion jumping at air shows and beer fests. Steve now lives in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. So welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, good. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah. So could you tell us why the Constitution of the United States is a unique and important document that perhaps other people don't know about? Well, first of all, they they stopped teaching about it. And what little they did teach about it was um, well, even in my first class in U.S. government in college was biased. They said that the founding fathers wanted to protect their financial standing. But um, it, it's, it's been the subject of many political attacks. But the men who wrote the Constitution, they had an idea of a society, not just their wealth and everything, but the idea of the behavior of an entire society they did their work. They studied governments going back to over 2000 years. What worked, what didn't. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's where the constitution came up. They even studied governments. Well, in Greece, of course, and in Southern Turkey, Mm. Uh, this is how far they went in studying governments. It sounds like that sort of thing hasn't really happened before. No, it was a unique, uh, well, these founders, well, they knew the Constitutional Convention was coming up. They knew the Articles of Confederation weren't working. And so they, they put their heads together and they started saying, 
we have a chance to put our names in history of creating one of the finest governments that ever existed. And, and all these guys, they were using, as they wrote uh, in support our, in opposing the Constitution, using pen names in history. Publius, mm. Federal Farmer, you know, uh, all these guys. Um, and so they'd like their names in history, too. Mm-hmm. And they knew that for a name to live forever in history, you had to be good. And these guys wrote a great constitution. So right after the Revolutionary War, the constitution didn't come into play for quite a while. What was actually governing the United States before the constitution? Well, actually, they, they had um, Congresses assembled and then they created the uh, Articles of Confederation. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they had a problem. A lot of the states like um, Alabama, no, pardon me, Georgia was one. They wanted all the property west to be Georgia, all mm-hmm. the way to the Pacific Ocean. And a couple other states were joined in this. And so, you know, a lot of people, they said, no, we're not going to join under these uh, ideas. They finally gave them all up and the uh, Articles of Confederation were ratified. But before they were even ratified, Hamilton was saying, wait, this this doesn't this makes an agreement between states, but it doesn't make a nation, because if we have invasions in one form or another, uh, we can't defend against. It. They had no power to tax. They had no power to uh, create armies and pay them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they uh, they realized this was a problem. I think mm-hmm. it was Hamilton wrote. Uh, James Duane and uh, explained them. This uh, these articles are are good for neither war nor peace. If I understand rightly, and I say this as a Canadian because I'm not that familiar with that era of American politics, there there was a period where it wasn't really a nation. Is that true after the Revolutionary War? Uh, it depends how you define nation, I guess. But their only cohesiveness was their agreement. But the agreement Mm -hmm. gave too much freedom for each state to do whatever they wanted. No reason to really stick together. Again, you know, uh, the um, the Spanish had closed the Mississippi River to uh, shipping, U.S. shipping. Uh, Great Britain or the English had forts south of the border and uh, France was getting involved, too. They knew this nation wouldn't last and there was no way of protecting it. Mm. So loose agreement, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, I, I believe in law, but I'm going to leave my car unlocked and my, uh, you know, the house unlocked, too. You know, you're asking for you're asking for trouble. So there was about an, an 11 year period. Is that it? Yes. Mm-hmm. As I remember. Yes. Yeah, I see. And at that time, did they have a president, so to speak, or did that come after the Constitution? There was no executive and there was no court. Um in in the articles, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, can you just list a few of the things that make the American Constitution so special that other countries simply don't have? Well, first of all, you won't know it by today, but the, the federal government was designed to be limited. And uh, the 10th Amendment was one of the uh, things that stopped a lot of uh, growth of government because it basically says if it's not in the constitution, it belongs to the states or the people in general. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like abortion now, they, uh, when uh, there's nothing in the constitution about abortion. And when 
the Supreme Court finally reached a proper decision on the matter, they, these people went screaming, you know, the, the opponents of it say, look, we've got to now create a uh, constitutional right for abortion. You know, I, I just, mm-hmm. people don't understand that we're supposed to have a limited federal government. Mm-hmm. But also, right shortly after it was ratified in Congress, uh, Madison talked about uh, the cod fisheries. If we start supporting them, it's going to create a long list of people who are also asking for government support. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you look what's happened. So our government's got, grown far beyond its design. And the reason for it is you buy votes with it. The more mm-hmm. services you give to people, the more will vote for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, we're, we're in a runaway government right now. Well, they can't pay for it. We're going into debt. You know, it, it's, um, it's real sad what they've done with this. So it strikes me that the abortion ruling was actually following the Constitution because it didn't give the federal government the rights to make abortion laws natu- nationally. So surely all they're doing is relaying it back to the states for their decisions. I mean, I don't see why the left are going so berserk saying that, you know, the federal government has now ruled against abortion. They haven't done that, have they? No, no, they haven't. And it's what they did. You have to be careful what they did. They framed it as a right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you notice that the original constitution did not have a bill of rights. And several of the people, mainly the anti-federalists, said, look, we want a Bill of Rights. And uh, Hamilton and Federalist 84, I believe it was, I'm off the top of my head here, said that if you start a Bill of Rights, it's going to lead to people claiming rights not granted. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what's happened. And they're framing all this through rights. You watch you know, the releases by the ACLU, everything is a right. Oh, we have a right to gays. We have a right to this. We have a right to abortion. We have a right to, uh, you know, uh, multi-gender restrooms or multi-gender people going into women's locker rooms and stuff. It's gotten way out of hand. Mm -hmm. I guess the answer is to simply say, well, show us where you have this right. (laughs) Yeah, well, what they're doing is they're exciting the audiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're not, you know, it, I don't know whether it's, they don't care. You know, I uh, when I have argued with some people about constitutional intent here, I'm going to diverge a little bit. When uh, Nancy Pelosi demanded that President Trump appear before a House committee, that is a violation of the separation of powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's blatant. And I was talking with one liberal lady at a garage sale, and uh, she said Trump has no respect for the law because he would not appear before them. And I explained the separation of powers and why he shouldn't. And I explained to her further that, um, you know, it's uh, she was wrong. And you know what the woman said? No, I'm right. He should have appeared there. They don't care what the Constitution says. It, it, well, this woman didn't. Uh, yeah. To a great extent, these people don't care. They're they're interested in in their uh, method of power. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, yeah, it's interesting. So they're more concerned about their feelings of what's right than what actually is right, as prescribed by the law and by the Constitution. You know what? And, and here's yes, you're right. And here's the other thing: they want their opinions to rule the United States. 
That's what bothers me. They can't mm-hmm. say, well, hey, you can have it your way here. You know, we'll have it our way. Like states' rights, the way it was designed is like California could pay you for having an abortion. You know, Utah could say, no, you're not going to do it. You know, Oklahoma could say you're not going to do it. You know, Alaska could say, you know, you're on your own. But mm-hmm. each state was supposed to be its own uh, uh, experiment in management. And that mm-hmm. includes education. The founding fathers didn't want the federal government to be involved in education at all. And bingo, we've got the Department of Education to yeah, centralize these. the message. Yeah. No. So, so you're, you're advocating that we go back to the Constitution, the American Constitution, as our baseline, as our center point. Is that the system that yes. you're promoting right now? Yes, yes. Work from the Constitution outward instead of the mutations, because that's mm-hmm. what they've been doing. They've been mutating our Constitution. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, they have like a sliding baseline that they can slide anywhere they want. <laughs> Yeah, and the point I make is this left versus right argument. It doesn't measure politics from the Constitution. It measures it as the distance from the parties. So as the the whole system slides to the left, the Constitution stays where it was way over on the right side on their system. Mm-hmm. But the center point between the Republicans and the Democrats keeps sliding away from constitutional intent. It's designed to continue to destroy our constitutional form of government. And it's Mm -hmm. working. Well, it strikes me that that's the reason you have a constitution, so that you actually have some sort of anchor, so that when you change governments, when you actually go from Republican to Democrat, you don't have fundamental changes in the nation because you have some sort of anchor. And I guess they don't like having an anchor, do they? No, they, they ignore the anchor. Well, it, it, if you can have an anchor, it's just how much line you add onto it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, I, I, I just, what they're doing is they're building an incredible, you know, people call it the swamp. Now, I had read somewhere that uh, President Trump was going to put the Department of the Interior into the interior of the U.S., which made sense. Yeah. But it would, it would create a new section of the federal government away from Washington. And that's a power center. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, everybody I talk to that's my Democrat friends, cause I still have some, um, they, they didn't like that. No, we have to, they, they believe in a Supreme authority, which, you know, if they were, um, how can I put this? If they were benevolent and, uh, stuck to the design, would be okay, but no, it, it's it's always feed the voter, uh, mm-hmm. give them uh, benefits from the treasury, and mm-hmm. and that's that's where we're going to have trouble. We're running out of money. The social security lockbox is empty. W- what are we going to do with this? Yeah, it strikes me as kind of like playing a basketball game where the home team decided the rules, and every time you changed arenas, there'd be new rules. I mean, how can you have a, a proper league like that? You know what? You've got a point there. And uh, it, it, I used that example in my first book, oh, okay. uh, Initial Points in, in Politics. So I used that very example to where the, uh, the uh, you know, this is the out-of-bounds line for our team. This is the out-of-bounds line for you guys, you know. And for us, we won't have uh, charging. For you, we will, you know. It, it's, <laughs> you, when you keep redefining your rules, 
And that's, that's why, you know, this, this idea of having justices that are biased against the Constitution, it's, it's not a good thing. Uh, oh, once you yeah. compromise the law enforcement authority, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Don't they swear an allegiance to the Constitution? Yeah. <laughs> so oh, <okay>. what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, because you know, really, you, you know what? This uh, the January sixth, uh, the, the about the uh, the revolt on January sixth, when the report came out. At the very top of the report was the oath that members of Congress take to uh, support the Constitution. They put mm-hmm. it at the top, and I my head spun around like an exorcist. I'm going, what the heck? These people, the Constitution means nothing to them. But then I realized they're playing to their audience. Their audience is, for the most part, un, uneducated in constitutional matters. Mm-hmm. So what brought you to actually thinking about the necessity for this change, going back to the Constitution? Was there a particular episode that sort of triggered you to think about this? I worked in legislative research for a while in my own business and such and with other people. And when you start, I, I talked to one person and they said, have you read the Federalist Papers? And I said, no. And they said, read them. Now, there's 85 of them, but they explain the design of the federal government. And when you get about a third of the way through, actually, when you get to uh, Federalist 10 by Madison, which I think is a must read by everybody that's interested in government. When you get to those, all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute, what the happened? What happened to our government? Because uh-huh. they explain the, the powers that gave the federal government. It explains the ones that were reserved for the states. They explained why. They're beautiful. Mm. It is a wonderful set of essays. And by the way, it's, you're going to need a dictionary next to you. And uh, because these guys, their writing is just beautiful. Especially, I like Federalist One uh, by Hamilton. I thought it was just brilliant. Yeah, um, but it's where you learn. You, you, it, if you just read the Constitution, you're going to say, "Oh, fine, cool." But when you read the Federalists, you they explain the foundation, they explain mm-hmm. the reasoning, they explain, you know, the logic behind everything. Right. Well, we'll include a link to the Federalist Papers, especially number ten, as you say. Now, have you shown this system? You know, the idea that we have to go back to the Constitution. Have you shown this to any members of Congress? I've shown it, well, one, this was about 10 years ago when the Tonight Show was going on. A member of Congress appeared on there, and we happened to have uh, a get-together with them at some restaurant. I'm not going to give the name now, but I showed it to this person, this senator, and they said, it'll never work because it makes too much sense. (laughs) Jeez. And talk, I, I took a torpedo amidship and I thought, well, OK, that means I keep going on this because, you know, they're subject to the will of the people. And unless the people understand what the heck's going on, they're not going to start something that will get them thrown out of office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I can't help it. I, all of a sudden I understood it. You're working mm-hmm. against the swamp. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it's interesting, generally speaking, people think that our society is right versus left, and it it really seems that way. But you're actually, if you have the Constitution as your base point, as your anchor, we don't have a left versus right, do we? No, we do not. 
we have constitutionists and then we have deviations thereof. Mm -hmm. And that would be surely a unifying factor for American public opinion and American sort of support of each other, working together, et cetera. You know, I've often wondered what would bring the people to understand this? And I think, first of all, is the reality of what's being done to them. Our debt, for one thing, and the future of our nation uh, with all these new immigrants that are in here. I mean, where are they going to go? When the government doesn't support them, what's going to happen to them? Mm -hmm. this, this is a tremendous liability we're bringing in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, you know, it's going to have to land on the people before they understand what's going on. Because right now, you talk to the average, let's say, voter of the party. Well, at least we're doing good. We're helping these people. Oh, yeah? For how long? You know, right. even, uh, um, what was it, uh, Benjamin Franklin said, both fish and visitors stink after three days. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, there's going to be a point where this is going to ha become a big problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, do you think the Republicans understand this? I mean, surely it would be to their advantage that we return to a solid foundation. Well, you know, I, I it, it's it's going to come from the people, I think. I, I don't I cannot see any member of Congress saying, let's grab onto this. It's going to have to come from, you, you know, it. There are so many good people around here. And when they realize what's been done to them, they realize we actually have a system of fighting back, of going back to the Constitution. That's where it's got to start. It's got to start from the people. It's got to start from our readers, your listeners, and start talking together and start bringing a concert together on this stuff. And then Congress will listen. But unless we, we put a movement together, it's not going to happen. And I've been writing about this for 20 years. So what would you think of average citizens going to political debates and open public hearings and getting to the microphone and say, hey, Mr. Politician or Mrs. Politician, you know, you're going way outside the Constitution. I mean, how do you have your actual I mean, how do you think that you can do this and actually keep our Constitution as the foundation? Should people be going to the mic and quizzing their their leaders on this? You know, it. it I, I've been to many events like that where the open mic comes on and people start most people think Tim, let me back up here you ask most of the people what they think government should do and most of them are going to say to take care of the people mm -hmm. that's what they're going to say so all they're concerned about is benefits are uh, and instead of the rule of law and well i get into this later but morality you know it's why should you take things that other people earned Mm -hmm. uh, under the force of government. Uh, th that's a moral question. And it, it's, this goes all the way back to Plato. In his book, The Republic, what is justice? Now, you mm -hmm. get to these meetings to, I circled around on this, you get to these meetings and the politicians are, are going to question the value of whatever questions you bring up. That's why, again, I say, you know, it's going to have to be a groundswell. Let's get back to a constitution and mm -hmm. uh, show them they have the votes to support them should they start doing this. Mm -hmm. Sounds like the first step, though, is public education, that the constitution is no longer behaving as the foundation for government. It's actually something different. It's uh, that is very true. Um, 
you know, because there, there's, um, as I mentioned earlier, one book that said that the only reason the Constitution is written the way it was is to maintain the financial success of the founding fathers. Mm. But in, in my book, I have a quote where, no, the founders were all businessmen, land surveyors, all these different people from all walks of life who had seen what evil lurks in the dark corners wherever more uh, money is courted. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, they, they wanted to protect the innocent people and make it harder for, because you can't eliminate crime, make it much harder for crime to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's, but even in, I'm going back to Plato's book, there is a point where uh, Socrates is arguing with a character named Thrasymachus. And uh, Thrasymachus calls, basically calls uh, Socrates a fool because the, the man who doesn't stick to the rules, in other words, the, the evil man, always triumphs against the honest man. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get ahead in life is to basically screw people. And mm-hmm. uh, with this, th- see, this, this system is as old as they could be. I mean, it mm-hmm. goes for that's 2,300 years ago. And mm-hmm. we st- had the same problem then that we do today. Mm-hmm. So it strikes me that the average person should want to have a consistent, reliable set of rules on which the country runs. And that the idea that whoever gets in power is going to change radically the country's nature and what they do. I mean, surely the average person should be very offended with this idea that the constitution is being ignored. You know, it, unless they're profiting by it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, see, that's the killer right there because you look at most of the riots that occur about governments. Well, there are ones in necessity, well, like we're not getting food and all that stuff, but the, but a uh, great many of them are caused when a government no longer deals out benefits because the people mm-hmm. get used to it uh and th- wait you can't take this away from me you know and uh that's really what can happen and uh it well we're, i thought the most recent is in greece where they were kind of cut some of the retirement pay of some of the people there and they rioted mm-hmm. um I, I think it was greece but but anyway it this is the problem when you try to get government back to what it should be doing there's going to be trouble Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll bet there'll be a time period when people think, wow, this is hurting me. Whereas in the long run, having a consistent set of rules is a huge benefit to the whole society. Now, have you suggested any changes to the constitutional model? You know, it, um, the uh, I, I've kind of thought some there's one about term limits, you know, term limits would require a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. And uh I I think, you know what, just to change the rules to where congressmen do not have retirement programs heavily funded. So it's going to create um, a doorway for more people to come in. That I think is how they're they're talking about uh, a balanced budget amendment. I, I can't imagine, you know, that working since we're what, how many trillion dollars was this last budget? I mean, you just can't. You just can't cut that much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a gigantic, you know, like an aircraft carrier. To turn it begins with a slight degree of change. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, to change this course of government, we have to go about it in a manageable way to where the people, even the beneficiaries, 
will accept the change, realizing it's for the better. But until mm-hmm. we have an educational system that explains that, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Do you think if Trump were to get back in, do you think he could make a step in the right direction? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I think he's the only one that can uh, bring this about because he's learned a lot. And uh, especially when it comes to his appointments, who he puts in what office and everything, because I think it was a rule to rude awakening for him to go through as many people as he did. But he knows what he wants to do. And this guy, I mean, he did this without without pay. He donated it all to charity. Mm-hmm. And you look at some of these members of Congress. I mean, how do they make so much money when they're only in office that pays, what, 200000 a year? Yeah. We, we have know to go f- there's corruption going on. Yeah, yeah. We have to take a quick break now. But after the break, I'd like you to contrast what the politicians were like when the United States was first formed, whether they were professional career politicians and what they're like now. So we'll, we'll take a break. Stay tuned. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. Cofix RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with Cofix RX. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared. Sea level rise has not been unusual and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan. 
a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. I'm back with constitutionalist and author Stephen E. Mykoski. He wrote the book, The Real Constitution and Its Real Enemies, How the Right versus Left Dialogue is a Weapon Being Used to Destroy Our Republic, How to Fight It. So, Steve, what were you saying previously before the break? One of the things that I should bring up here is why did the government change and the politicians along with it? Um, in the late 1800s, there was a lot of talk about how the Senate was corrupted by just having a bunch of wealthy men in the Senate and that we should uh, change that. The senators in the initial out design of the Constitution were appointed by the state legislatures, legislatures thereof. So mm-hmm. what happened is the states had an official say-so in the uh, legislative processes of the U.S. government. So they could stop they could say, hey, look, we don't like this legislation. It's taking power from the states. But um, there was a book uh, called Federalism, the Supreme Court and the 17th Amendment mm-hmm. uh, that explained how the press started pushing this idea that we have got to have a citizen elected Senate. Mm-hmm. And they succeeded. The 17th Amendment was ratified in 1913. And then the senators became voted in the offices. So the selection process for the Senate became the same for the House of Representatives. Now, what makes people vote for others? Hey, you vote for me, I'll give you this. And that's what happened. But it also affected the judiciary because these, any judicial appointments needed the confirmation of the Senate. When mm-hmm. that had been poisoned by popular will as well, it, it created a downslope of our Republican form of government. Now, we're a Republican form of government because of two elements. One was the state-appointed senators. And two is the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you contrast that with a true democracy? Like, how? what's the big difference? Okay. Um, the Let's get to how the founding fathers designed our republic it was designed to be limited it was designed to have checks and balances between the uh three areas the judiciary the legislative and the executive designed that way and we're seeing those clouded right now um a democracy is subject to will popular will and the um how was it the um 
um, Madison and Federalist 10 basically explain that democracies are as uh, violent in their lives as they, as they are in their deaths because <clears throat> democracies always fail. And uh, it, it, we're approaching that. And, but the thing is, we have too much democracy in our republic right now and not, a, not enough fiscal and uh, governmental restraint. There's too many bureaus. There's too many benefits coming from the treasury. And mm-hmm. these are all because of popular will. Mm-hmm. So I suppose in a democracy taken to extreme, the public can vote themselves all the money back and vote themselves to have no tax. And I mean, how do you run the country? <laughs> you know, well, there's another thing about this. It's let's say we have a democracy, uh, a pure democracy. Now, there's varying degrees of democracies. Um, the uh, our uh, original constitution had a democratic element in the House of Representatives where they're appointed by the people every two years. That is to express the, the emotions and the will of the people. And the senators were supposed to be of a calmer mindset every six years. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, if we had a democracy, we said, well, look, I don't like Donald Trump. Let's vote to execute him and all his family members and uh, distribute the... Uh, uh, proceeds to all the uh, illegal immigrants coming in this country. If that passed, a democracy would do it. Yeah, yeah, it, you're right. Eh? It, it's very subject to the will of the people, not to the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when they keep saying, oh, we're listening to the, to the people, we want not, come on, you got to rule the country with some sort of respect for individuals, not just the ma- mass of people's opinion. You know what? It, it's here. This is this is where morality has to come in. Morally, what is the correct thing to do? If you've earned your money, should you get to keep it? Um, they, you know, one of the things that people keep talking about here, and I want to address this off the cuff here. What we're headed to, they keep saying we're going to a socialist form of government. In a socialist form of government, the government owns all the businesses. Mm-hmm. But there is a form of government where the government doesn't own the businesses, the people do, but the government dictates what they do. That mm. is fascism. Yeah. That's fascism. That's what Hitler did with, you know, Fock Wolf, uh, Messerschmitt, uh, Arms of Krupp, all these people. They, they made a lot of money because they did what the government wanted them to do. And so basically what you saw here is these Antifa groups, they're actually pro-fascist. They're working on behalf of a force that wants to instill fascism on the United States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, how would our listening audience introduce this? Like, how do you introduce the system and how do people react? Okay, basically, you know, I will explain to them, look, every congressman swears an oath to the Constitution. And, um, you know, let me backpedal here. When I sense there is a change or a difference of opinion between me and uh, casual person A, I will stop and I'll say, hey, look, obviously we have different opinions. And usually they know it right away. Mm-hmm. We have different opinions. And then I ask them, what is the foundation of your political philosophy? What's at the bottom of it? And it's funny because that question throws them. No, I'm mm-hmm. not saying your party because party can mean anything. What is your philosophy? And 
then I ask them if they believe in a constitution, because I do. Mm-hmm. And they usually will go, uh, yeah, accept this. And then I cut right to Plato's rule of non-contradiction. You can't be for something and against it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. You know, yeah, it, it, it's funny because you watch them, they start stammering. Or they just say, well, you're, you can't call me uneducated in these matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, the Constitution is the foundation of all law. It should be the foundation of all uh, political measurements. And I ask them, you know, it's, do you know what the only guarantee in the Constitution is? And no. they, they always say uh, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, which is in the Declaration of Independence, not the Constitution. So right. I then I tell them, Article 4, Section 4, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect them against invasion. How's that mm. working out right now? Mm. They yeah. are promoting invasion. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this is one of the key points against what Biden's doing right now. Yeah. He is totally trashing the Constitution. So when you say invasion, you mean this mass of migration of illegal immigrants across the southern border. Yeah, well, what makes a country? What makes a nation? Usually it's borders, language, and culture. And mm-hmm. we have no borders now. Well, it's- you know, the thing that might make you laugh, ironically, is that as a Canadian who's not being vaccinated, I cannot come into the United States. But you have thousands of unvaccinated people just pouring across your southern border. And Biden seems to think that's OK. And yet he tells me I can't come in. I mean, isn't that a bit crazy? Yeah, I'm shaking my head here because it, it what guides these people? You know, what really is the bottom? And I've been asked that many times by good friends of mine. What the heck do you think is going on? Why are they doing this? This makes no sense at all. And it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, even if people accumulate a, a lot of wealth and jobs and benefits, you know, because I think a lot of the benefits that uh, political leaders get are after they leave Congre- Congress, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like buying mo- multi-million dollar mansions in a, you know, in uh, wonderful areas, you know, wealthy areas. How do they do that? You can't do that as a congressman. Yeah, for sure. Do you think we should return to a system where we don't have career politicians who stay in for 40 years, that we have people like they did originally, where they were shopkeepers and blacksmiths and others who actually came into government, did their turn, and then they went back to normal civilian life? Is, would, that would be better. That would be better. But if, if let's say if we put in term limits, the politicians right now are like shark's teeth. Um, I, in, there was a, um, congressional district number one, I'll bring up in, um, Colorado, uh, Pat Schroeder was the, uh, lady who was our representative from, um, for that area. And, uh, when she retired, um, she was replaced by, a, another Congresswoman, uh, Diana DeGette, who's basically the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, that is how they run their business. And that's, that's what I think term limits will do. There's no guarantee they're going to follow the Constitution. That's why term limits is not necessarily an answer. It's one way of addressing a problem, I guess, but it's not a solution. Mm-hmm. The only solution is no matter who's in office, you get them to follow the Constitution. 
Yeah, exactly. Now, I've noticed this sort of shift in the Democrat Party where the extreme left, the, you know, the, the, the extreme socialists like AOC and others are starting to have more and more influence. So, I mean, can you explain the change from moderate to extreme within these parties? Well, to maintain your growth away, you all, the extreme always moves the center to their point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, AOC, she's, you know, I, I, I saw that as a big setup when she won her election because, uh, there's, she became super pop- Can you imagine any other member of Congress being that popular after winning a race? There's 435 members of, of the house of representatives. Why did she get the microphones and the cameras immediately? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds that. like a setup to me. Yeah, so who do you think you set know, it up? <laughs> well, obviously the the entire system. I mean, because we know for a fact that the media is a campaign um, mechanism for the Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. But especially uh, for the squad, right? Well, yeah. You know what? I, I'm not as worried about um, uh, Miss Cortez as I am about the uh, the other members of the squad. Um, you know, because they, um, they're, they're calling for just for, uh, if we could suspend the constitution in its entirety, they'd do that. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, the people have got to start talking about our constitution and knowing that when these people swear an oath to preserve, protect and defend, you're going to hold them to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it this like isn't it... happening right now. Yeah. So if people had better knowledge of the particulars of the Constitution, they could go to public hearings and say, you're not following it on this. Why not? You swore an allegiance. Would that make sense for people to do that? It, it's what we have to do. What else do we have left? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's uh, it, we're, we're, we're having, they keep to, to increase our run into anti-constitutional events and laws and practices they they keep identifying a victim oh uh these people are poor they cannot get a driver's license they don't have a phone so we should have no voter id and look where that's led to us i think it was hillary clinton that said first if you want to get something done first identify a victim and then work on that victim to get your change made Mm -hmm. um and and that's what they've been doing Mm -hmm. uh you know let's uh I, the first time I voted in California, where I did not have to show any form of ID. Oh, yeah. Really. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> it was designed to encourage voter fraud. I mean, you know, there's a point where Joe Biden a while back said we have the most incredible voter fraud uh, movement ever. It, it's you, you look it up. It's on uh, on YouTube where he, he explains they have got a big voter fraud mechanism going. And then uh, Dinesh D'Souza came out with his movie about all the mules. Mm-hmm. They, it's documented. They stole this election. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a Canadian looking in, I've always admired Americans, the generosity, you know, the form of government. I mean, do Americans not appreciate the fact that you actually have a very special form of government, a special country, when you actually look at the history of the world, and that you are in, in, at risk of actually losing it if you throw away your foundation or you ignore it. I mean, do, does the average American appreciate that the U.S. is very, very special in world history? 
You know, it, it's you, you look what we did in World War II. We defeated two nations and gave it back to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I can't identify any any nation in history that's done something like that. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, when we're giving away foreign aid, how do we know there's no strings attached to this aid? You know, I I just don't know. I don't know, but I'm highly suspicious about it. But um, I, I keep thinking about um, that movie, uh, Casino Royale, where James Bond uh, asked the CIA officer, are you sure you, sure you have the money? And, and the CIA officer says, of course we have the money. You know, something to that effect. He admitted uh-huh. that uh, the U.S. had an unending amount of money, and they don't. Mm-hmm. We're in debt. We're in terrible debt. And yeah. people think it's okay. Now, what type of mentality, you know, you're going to give this to your children. You're leaving them this debt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's almost like, okay, here's the Democrat plan. Either you're going to be in heavenly debt or we'll abort you now. What do you want? Mm. You know, it's, um, I, you think this would wake people up. The fact that it hasn't is one of the big underlines we have got to stop this circus. Yeah. It strikes me that the average person is just simply not appreciative enough of what was actually done, you know, back in the 1700s. And they have to learn more about it because this whole idea that it's a very special document, it's the accumulated knowledge of thousands of years. I mean, these are really important things. And, you know, how long have you been working on trying to promote the return to the Constitution? Well, it's actually a little over 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, but I, I wrote my first book on this about 12 years ago. It was called Initial Points in Politics. It was a learning experience to self-publish. Uh, then I uh, wrote another book, the um, Arguing for the Constitution, which really had an artic- uh, a chapter about attacking the Democrats. But this last one, The Real Constitution, um, I... I thought we have got to go at the system and get back on track because somewhere somebody's going to start thinking that's let's say a Democrat voter or as opposed to that, a uh, voter who doesn't like Republicans thinks they're evil, but to Mm. find out there's a better course of government and that is to start limiting what the federal government does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the home for that is the constitution. Yeah, I would love to see this on Laura Ingram's show on Fox News, you know, saying, hey, you know, let's get back to the Constitution. Is there any hope, do you think, of getting it into major media like that? You know, it, it's it's a person at a time. Um, you know, it, it's it's always any author's dream. I'd like to be on the Fox News shows, you know, because yeah. who appears on those? The people who appear on them are usually public figures already. Oh, right. You know, they're already names and they're making all these money off all this money off of all these books. And you know what? They're all drones about the same stuff. They identify stuff. And the book I've written is the only one that provides a remedy. It -hmm. explains what the problem is. We're not following it. Here's how they how they push the Constitution off to the right. And what gets me is all the congressmen agree with it. Oh, we're right wing. No, (laughs) you're centrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I just want to say one thing. It's a little off topic, but it's something I always like to say to my American friends. And that is that we really appreciate the United States in ways that perhaps are not well known. For example, the United States 
has given more money in pure aid, you know, humanitarian aid since World War II than all countries in history of the world combined. And do you think that's partly an outcome of the kind of constitutional freedoms and other things that you have? And do you think that's one of the reasons that Americans are so generous? You know, it's, it's their governments being generous. Um, you know, and, and it's uh, the most generous people are the ones that have fought for our freedom. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, well, you go back to the Revolutionary War, you go back to the Civil War, uh, and you go through all the wars, you know, and, and it's, and I've got friends who are Vietnam veterans that are still suffering because of the stuff they saw and experienced there. Oh, and yeah. those are the real champs of the u.s because they fought truly evil forces mm -hmm. um and i'm a veteran myself and um it, it i didn't i you know what's weird is i had orders in 1969 for apo san francisco mm -hmm. and everybody knows what that means in 1969 but 10 minutes before i left they sent me they said i was going to germany instead oh, so i was shoot. thankful about that <laughs> Yeah, for you know, sure. But um, yeah, but anyway, the um, you, you know it's uh, the most giving people have been our veterans. Yeah, our, our yeah, veterans. and of course I've always been a super fan of the U.S. because my first career was aerospace, and of course I grew up in the Apollo era, and I met some of the Apollo astronauts, and you know I mean that was like one of the most exciting and and fantastic things that was done in our, in the history of the world, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, imagine going from the suborbital flight in 1961 to walking on the moon eight years later. It's just, it's just unbelievably very cool. Now, what do you think is the greatest block to people actually accepting that the Congress and, and others should be following the Constitution? What's the biggest block? Biggest block? Yeah. Um, two things. One is uh, benefits. Um, you know, because you look at how many of these bureaus do we not need? Let's say the Department of Education. If we go back to a constitutional form of government, that whole building needs to be shuttered. Mm. You know, and all the people will lose their jobs. They're going to fight that. Now, there's a secondary element to that. All those people that work there dine in restaurants. They go do other businesses. They, you know, so there's a fallout produced from going to a uh, uh, constitutional form of government. And it's going to be a lot. That's, mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing is the benefits. They're going to want to keep their benefits, which to them is their way of life. Um, and the other is some people, um, for them to admit, oop, I've been back on the wrong party. That, that is a hard thing to do because, you know, when you have that realization hit you that you've been doing something wrong for years, it, it's, it's not a good feeling. Mm -hmm. Now, I just wanted to go back. We only have two minutes left, but to end off, can, can you talk a little bit about this? The subtitle of your book is How the Right Versus Left Dialogue is a Weapon Being Used to Destroy Our Republic. So <clears throat> it's, it strikes me that the Democrats are encouraging this right versus left dialogue. Uh, and is that to their advantage or why are they doing it? You know, the first time I really thought of this uh, is when Hillary Clinton, when Bill Clinton was coming under fire for his little tryst with uh, Monica Lewinsky, she claimed it was a, the product of a vast right-wing conspiracy. She blamed it on the Republicans. 
Mm-hmm. And well, wait a minute. This is what Bill did, not what they did. But I started, <laughs> that's what started me thinking. But where does this right wing come up? Mm-hmm. And it is designed to create them as a bunch of intolerant religious people. And mm-hmm. they've attacked, they've used religion and the separation of church and state to attack morality. And that is what they're pulling out of our government. They're trying to escape from morality, which we're seeing now in, you know, all these weird bedrooms and LGBT and all that stuff. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's, they're quite successful in it because people think that uh, they're intolerant. But what we have going on here is a movement of intolerance masquerading as, in, as tolerance. Mm-hmm. And we have got to go back to a, a moral foundation because any government that depends on the input of the people depends on their morality to maintain a good course of government. And, and would I be correct to say that the Democrats like the left versus right system because then they can pigeonhole the right as being extremists? Right, right. Well, heck, it's, that's why they've done it. It's mm-hmm. worked very well. By putting the Constitution on the right side, that's what my book's about. It yeah. distanced, you know, the respect, as I mentioned, is kind of like a, not a founding father, but a founding stepfather. Yeah, for sure. So we got to wrap up there, Steve. We're out of time. My guest today has been constitutionalist and author Stephen E. Makovsky. His book is titled The Real Constitution and Its Real Enemies, How the Right versus Left Dialogue is a Weapon Being Used to Destroy Our Republic how to fight it. And again, I'll include the link to this book and I encourage everyone to read it. So Steve, thanks for being a guest on my show today. It's been my pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed this, this time. Thank you very much. Okay, great. Well, this is Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story.